What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Guest Friday on Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on, program on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow the uh, social pages on Twitter uh, and Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so this week we are, uh, or I'm happy to be joined by Ty Anderson, who covers the Bruins for uh, 98.5 Sports Hub on the digital side. Uh, Ty, what's going on? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Finally, we were able to connect on this. I feel like we've been talking about this for a while, so yeah. it's good good to be here for sure. Yeah, it's definitely great to have you on. You know, this is, uh, I think, perfect timing. You know, Bruins are opening training camp tomorrow. Uh, preseason games start on Sunday, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, the prospects prospect challenge wrapped up. You know, we got some new jerseys the Bruins are going to wear. Uh, you know, centennial list and all that stuff. So uh, really looking forward to to getting into this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is kind of, it was weird, right? Because like this off season was pretty boring, uh, I would say, but it wasn't like uneventful. I think everything was kind of perfectly spaced out where they were doing something pretty much every week. It felt like, right. Whether it was a signing, whether it was the draft guys retiring, you know, things of that nature. Like it felt like, it was a it was a relatively quiet, but I think consistently something was happening kind of off season. But this is what you're here for, right? This is what you want back on the ice, back playing games, you know, meaningful kind of competition. So now we get to see, you know, how all these signings and all these flyers they're taking, uh, how they're going to work out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, very curious to see how, you know, some of these signings work out. You know, the Bruins kind of went along the route of kind of signing some low-cost guys, you know, I think kind of out of necessity. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how these guys fit in. Um, before we get into kind of the hockey side, um, I wanted to ask you about uh, being a part of the group of people that helped select the 100. Was Is it is it best players or was it like most iconic? I kind of couldn't. Yeah, so it was actually, it was the... Uh, Top 100 most legendary players. And, and okay. that distinction was made so that you could include guys who maybe you otherwise wouldn't, you know, say like an enforcer like Sean Thornton who made it. Or, you know, a guy who only played two seasons but had a great impact on a championship run or something like that. So okay. that was the big reason why they did that. Um, Because, yeah, like, listen, if you were doing the 100 greatest players of all time, you know, there there are a few guys in that list that that wouldn't make the list just right. because they're not truly the greatest players in mm-hmm. team history. Um, but this was a way to include guys who had good playoff runs, guys who, again, had like a cult hero kind of status. So that's how that's how the voting kind of went. But I think for, you know, for me personally, I think the top 25, I was treating it like these are the top 25 players in Bruins history. And then once you got into the seventies and the eighties, the nineties, that's when I started saying, okay, we'll throw this guy in here because he had a good playoff run or the fans liked him a lot, you know, like, or he was, he was over with the crowd, you know, whatever it was like, but I think for, you know, knowing the, the ranking system, cause we had to rank them uh, on our end, knowing the ranking system, the first 25 or 30, you know, I want to take it, treat it as, these are the best players in team history. And then for the remaining 70, 75, it was more along the lines of what was their impact off ice, on ice, 
And, you know, do they make my own list of top 100? Sure. Um, for you personally, I think being a Bruins fan for as long as you've, as, as long as you've been, uh, you know, following hockey, um, was it special to be part of that, like, group that got to select, you know, all these legendary players? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, when I got the invitation, I was pretty shocked. Um, not going to lie, because, you know, I've been covering the team since 2010, um, mm -hmm. but I never I didn't think I would have the resume to be a part of that kind of group. And, you know, I I, I was super appreciative of, of getting that invitation. Um, like I said, I didn't expect it at all. So to get it was really cool. And, uh, you know, I, I hope my list wasn't too you know, current era kind of heavy um, just based on, you know, the era that I've covered and the teams that I'm familiar with. But um, yeah, getting that email, uh, getting that invitation from, from Cam Neely is the one who I think who sent, sent it all out to all of us. Is, it was pretty cool. It's pretty shocking for sure. Gotcha. Um, so that was, that was definitely cool to see all those players. You know, I admittedly probably didn't know about 20 or 30 guys. Uh, even though I kind of know a lot of Bruins players or some guys from the, you know, twenties and thirties or whatever. I was like, no idea who this person is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it, it's harder with guys who like, there's really no film on them right. or, or extensive film. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, so what was interesting about that is like, including players from that era on my list, I had to basically, go back and separate it by decades. So like I did the Bruins from like 1924 to 1934. Okay. Who were their top 10 scorers? Who was their best defenseman? And then I would stack it against their numbers against their peers, you know, on other teams and say, okay, this guy was a top 10 point producer. This guy was a top five goal scorer. Like mm -hmm. you got to put him on the list. Right. And so that was helpful as well as kind of digging through some old Bruins history books. Um, you know, finding out, finding guys who maybe, you know, would be this era's, uh, you know, Michael Ryder, you know, a guy who, who wasn't a superstar, but scored some big goals, made some big plays. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't get all of them. I missed a couple, you know, looking back on it, um, which kind of eats me up a little bit. But ultimately, I think that was kind of how I had to look at guys that I had never seen play. Um, you know, there are guys like Fernie Flamen who, I listen, I couldn't tell you a thing about him. He played in the fifties, but you know, historians say that Gordie Howe said that he was the hardest defenseman to play against in his era. So it's like, okay, so he's got to be on my list then he's got to be up there. Right. And so it's kind of hard to contextualize guys. I've never, I had never seen. Mm -hmm. So I think looking back and, and weighing them against their peers was kind of the way I would do it, you know, yeah. to say, to say where they'd be, you know, mm -hmm. there were some obvious ones. Like I never saw Bobby Orr play, but, his resume alone says he's the best of all time. Right. Right. So, so for some guys, it was easy. Other guys, it was like digging out those books, digging out the record books and seeing, you know, seeing where you land. So mm -hmm. that, that part was a little bit challenging for sure. Well, it'll be exciting. I think with, you know, this whole celebration with, you know, the hundred players, the new jerseys and all that um, moving over toward kind of the hockey side. Um, you know, obviously a lot's been made about the retirements the Bruins have had this summer. How do you think they go about replacing, or I don't know if replace is the right word, but there kind of becomes a leadership void. How do you think that they go about kind of filling that? Yeah. So I think that honestly, 
you know, it, it, it's it's going to be, you know, Brad Marchand's kind of alluded to this. It's going to be everyone's going to have to take on more, right? You can't put it all on one guy. I, I do think there's a natural kind of ease into it for guys like Pasternak and guys like McAvoy who played with Chara, played with Bergeron, played with Krejci. Like, they kind of saw it firsthand for half a decade, right? So, like, they kind of have an idea as to, as to what it means to be a leader on this team. You know, other guys like Charlie Coyle, Brandon Carlo, I think they're going to have to find their voice a little bit and, and figure out how they can lead. Um, you know, I think bringing Milan Lucic back was a move that, you know, some people have kind of bashed and they don't think he's worth it and blah, blah, blah. You know, if he's there, Nick Felino, he's worth it because Nick Felino played a, an important role in, in being another voice they could lean on. And Milan Lucic was that kind of guy towards the end, uh, towards the end of his time here. He was more of a leader uh, than, than, than he was in the beginning, even arguably, on those cup teams, you know, like 2014, 15, I, I think you really saw Milan Lucic take that next step as like a, as a leader on the team and guys on that team told me that back then, you know? And, and so um, he's a the guy they're going to lean on, but I really think it's about kind of the day to day. It's the day to day of, you know, Pasternak said this yesterday is that one of the things that Bergeron did is he checked in on everybody every day. He's, he said, this is kind of like your second family. Your teammates are your second family and you, not everyone's going to have a great day every day, but you got to know to check on your teammates. And I think that's something that David Pasternak is really going to try to embrace and, and, and lean on. And I think same thing for McAvoy, you know, I, I think these guys, you know, the benefit of playing with the guys they played with for five years, I, I think you can't, you can't undersell it. It's it's going to be super important, super helpful uh, in terms of them finding who they are as leaders and knowing what to do, you know, in leadership roles. So I think that they'll be OK, you know, in terms of that. But they're going to go through some rough patches. There's no doubt. I mean, they, they just lost one of the best captains, one of the best players in hockey, in my opinion. Um, kind of finishing the thought on Lucic, do you think that, you know, obviously part of the reason he was brought in, I think, is kind of a leadership thing but do you think he can kind of be there as like a sounding board for some of the younger guys who are you know trying to make a name for themselves and trying to you know push for roster spots I think so I I think that like you know a guy like AJ Greer Mm -hmm. you know he he doesn't lie that Milan Lucic was his favorite player growing up and so it's going to be cool for him to kind of figure out you know, AJ Greer is a guy who really he's what he's 26 or so, and he still hasn't found his footing as a full-time NHLer. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Milan Lucic can kind of tell him, you know, what it what he needs to do to become a full-time player. Yeah. You know, and I also think he's kind of he, you know, he's a bit of protection for some of those guys too. You know, yeah. Fabian Lysel, if we go back to his first preseason game last year at home against Philly, he was looking good. And then Rasmus Ristolainen comes over, bangs him into the boards, and then his preseason is basically over. You know, like like he wasn't the same player after that. So I think that that gives those players a little bit of confidence, a little bit of comfort in playing their game, knowing that, you know, he's going to be out there to create space for them or make someone pay if they try to take advantage of them. So I think that does kind of help. You know, it's a little goofy, I think, for some people out there hearing it, like he's going to deter people from being physical. No, but it's another layer of kind of comfort for those younger players, I think, to your point. Um, so, you know, obviously training camp and preseason, there's a lot of, you know, younger guys getting opportunities um, and kind of roster bubble guys. Do you feel that there are some 
like young slash roster bubble guys that like aren't being talked about enough, but people that could actually make the roster and have like a legitimate chance to make the the big club. Yeah, you know, I think that you know everyone wants to see Fabian Lysel make it right away. I, I I don't I don't see it happening. I think he needs to gain a little bit more strength. He needs to learn the pro game a little bit more before he's ready to take that step. Um, you know, I, I do wonder about a guy like Georgi Merkulov who can play center and wing. His defensive game has gotten a little bit better. Seeing some some clips from the prospects challenge out in Buffalo, I thought he made a few good defensive plays. Um, you know, he's a guy that, you know, truth be told, I'd almost rather see him there at, at second line left wing than James Van Riemsdyk. And that's not... A knock on JVR, I just don't know if you want to go with JVR in your top six in 2023-24. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you might get more out of him in a third-line role where you're not asking him to you know, to, to play 16 minutes a night. Um, I think he's more of a specialist at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's a guy, I, you know, I'd like to see him skate with some of these guys here, you know. So, so that's a name that I don't think is getting enough, uh, you know, hype entering this off, entering this training camp. You know, another guy on the back end is Riley Walsh, who they acquire from the Devils. Um, he's had back-to-back years of 40 points in the AHL. He can also throw his body around a little bit. Um, if you're looking for, you know, kind of replacing what Connor Clifton brought to you, you know, and having a guy who can do things at both ends of the ice, you know, setting the tone, creating plays, I mean, he might be a better fit than Kevin Shattenkirk. But I think Shattenkirk is kind of a lock for the roster. So Riley Walsh needs to have a great camp. And then maybe he would unseat, you know, a Jig Zaboral, for example, or, or a Derek Forbert if they want to waive him to create cap space. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to take a lot for some of these guys to unseat some veterans. Uh, but I think that personally, I think that the Bruins should. If if a younger player emerges here, there's no reason not to play them. Like, like Bergeron's gone. Krejci's gone. There's no cup window right now you're trying to preserve this is about discovery this is about finding out what you have for the future so if a young guy comes knocking i don't want them sent down to the minors i want them here because you got to find out if they can play or not Mm -hmm. Um, a couple guys that you know before we started i was looking at um luke toporowski and uh jesper boquist what do you think about both of them do you think either of them have a chance to make the roster you know, and you can tell me about those two. Yeah, you know, I I think that, you know, I think that Toporowski is a guy that people really want to see. I want to see him. I thought he, I thought he's really kind of given a strong effort here. Now the problem with him though is that his skill set is something that they went out and added, right? Or they have guys that you would maybe say are higher on the proverbial depth chart than him. You know, Mark McLaughlin comes to mind. Even Johnny Beecher comes to mind. Guys who can play center, who, who can play se- uh, uh, wing and center, rather. So, like, they have more positional versatility. Uh, they went out and signed Patrick Brown. Uh, Milan Lucic is a guy who I think is kind of in his way. Uh, A.J. Greer's in his way. Like, like, so I think that there's, like, I like him, but I think that if this is a, you know, if you're looking at the depth chart, He's got to he's got to leap a lot of guys this camp, and he could do it. But I think that they may say, "Let's get you a year of top six minutes in Providence, see what we have here, and then let's go from there." So they're kind of weird, right? Like I find the Bruins are are very they're like patient sometimes to a fault, um, and and they look at things and they say, "Well, you got six guys ahead of you, so 
you're not going to jump all six, but if you can jump four, that's great. And we'll love to see it. So I like his game a lot, but I, I do want to see, and I do, I am curious to see if it gets a little bit more seasoning, maybe in a greater role with Providence this, this upcoming season. <laughs> and then uh, what about Boquist? So Boquist is weird, right? Because this is a guy that they brought in who I was like, okay, that's your 13th forward, right? Or that's your 14th forward, whatever it is. Because mm-hmm. he can play center and wing. His face-off numbers are abysmal. They are they are some of the worst in the league over the last, four, I think, three or four years. I think mm-hmm. only three guys have a worse face-off winning percentage than Jesper Boquist. So he's not a center, in my opinion. Like, it, it, like if you're coming in here and hoping that he's going to win some key face-offs, like, no, you're, you're going to be sorely mistaken. So you know, you're going to be disappointed. So I don't know with him. And when they go out and they bring in Danton Heinen, I look at Heinen as an upgrade over Boquist. And I say, no, no, that guy's a better, more efficient player. He's a better scorer. He's mm-hmm. as good defensively. Um, so I think Boquist, I honestly, I think he might be one of these guys who gets waved down in the minors. And, you know, he's a, he's a, he's maybe your, your quad a kind of player, you know, He's your first guy up in the event of injuries. Is he your new Vinny Letary? You mm. know, possibly. I, I, but, but I don't know, man. Like he's a guy that I just looked at when I did a deeper dive on the numbers. I was like, I, I don't know if he makes it right. Like because they kind of have like, I think there's really two spots up for. Well, there's three spots up for grabs up up front. Your third line wing of some sort because you know it's gonna be Geeky and Frederick in, in two of those three spots, and then your fourth line. You know it's gonna be Lucic and probably, you know. So you so you have two spots on line four and one spot on line three. I think so. You know where does he fit in the mix? And and I gotta tell you, I think I think Heinen makes it. I do. Like I I think that if you're looking for a guy who's familiar with the system, familiar with the Bruins, familiar with Jim Montgomery, he checks the boxes and he can move up and down your lineup. Like he played with Marshan, he played with Coyle, like. I think there's value there. And and, and so it really kind of makes everyone kind of move around a little bit. And I think Lauko makes it as well. So there's not a lot of openings here. And I think Boquist might be a guy who just, you can't find the home for him and he gets waved down to the minors. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that the face-off thing, because I feel like, you know, maybe I'll make a comparison here to football, but it's kind of like the Patriots like wide receivers who can block you know, Bruins like their centers to be very good on faceoffs. you know, so may, uh, may, maybe that comparison doesn't really work that well. But, you know, I think, as you said, with Boquist struggling on faceoffs, it's kind of, you know, hard to pencil in a spot. You know, I think that they like those guys that can win faceoffs and win them at a, a high rate, kind of like Nosek last year. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that, like they they like the idea that they can work with guys who who maybe weren't great on faceoffs but mm-hmm. i do think that it was a focal point of this offseason you know mm-hmm. realizing they were losing Bergeron, Krejci and Nosek Nosek was one of the better faceoff guys in the league last year mm-hmm. um they kind of really put an emphasis on that you know and so i think that you know you got to win your draws this year and if you're not and Boquist has never been a guy who's won his draws so i just don't see the home for him Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, like, because if he's going to be playing wing, I look at him and say, well, you have better options. You have better options internally. You have better options in the minors. You have better options uh, on PTOs. So, 
I just, I, for, for me, it's just hard to see how he cracks his roster, but no, you're right. Like they have made this a focal point. They want guys who can win draws because they're realizing that is a gigantic loss for them between three different players. So you got to win them. And so a guy like him, I don't, I don't see how he makes his team. Mm-hmm. Um, focusing more on the prospects. I'm curious about guys that, you know, maybe they don't play in Boston this year. Are there guys that you think could make big jumps in the minors and maybe come into next season being like, oh, okay, they could legitimately make the roster? Yeah, I think that all eyes should be on Mason Lorai. Um, and I say this because, you know, he's still learning the position. He's still learning defense. He 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 moved to the position at a relatively older age for a prospect of his hype. Um, but I say this because, you know, look at next year's team. Grizzlick is a pending UFA. Forbert is a pending UFA. So they're going to have an opening, theoretically, for a left shot D to move up, potentially move up into their top four. So, if, you know, low-rise development this year is going to be the most fascinating thing to watch, and I think it's a reason why they want to give him a full year in the minors. I think they want to give him that full uninterrupted year development, figure out what he can what he can do, and then go from there. Because, I mean, listen, he is a huge piece of their future. You know, he's a six foot four D who can move the puck and make plays offensively. If he can learn the defensive side of the game, as you know, strengthen that side of his game, prove that he's capable of playing in, against pros, like like that answers so many of their questions internally. Like that may that might save them six million dollars, you know, in terms of going out and signing a guy. So I think that that is something worth watching. Um, you know, another guy who who is really going to be worth watching is Ryan Mast. Um, you saw him a little bit at the prospects challenge. You saw him at dev camp, big body defenseman. Uh, I believe he's about six foot five, I want to say. But another one who, you know, we've seen the trend of the league, right? Where, where it's bigger defensemen. It's guys that are at least six foot one and taller on the back end. Every cup winner, you know, the last three years, they've all had regulars over six feet tall the exception being kale mccarr and he's a freak so it's like you'll take him being five foot eleven that doesn't really matter when he's as good as he is right um so i think those are two guys worth watching you know mm-hmm. a guy that i'm gonna be watching below the pro level is dan's lock mellis um lock mellis had a great year uh over in sweden now he's in the u.s he's gonna be playing at umass mm-hmm. um he's probably gonna be playing in a bottom six role but he's a guy that I, I think could be a find for them. I really do think that they may have something here. Um, so his development at Amherst is going to be really worth watching. Um, you know, the Bruins love having them love having him in their backyard. Now, like they can check in on him mm-hmm. with quite a bit more regularity than they, than they could last season. So uh, mm-hmm. I think the hype train with a guy like Locke Mellos is real. And so I, I'm curious to see how he looks. Uh, and I know it's below the pro game, but but he's a guy that I think is going to be worth watching uh, for Bruins fans. Yeah, I think that, you know, there might be some overzealous folks that, you know, would like to see Laura at the NHL level this year. But I think, as you said, I think it makes a lot more sense to have him have that full pro season, see how he looks, and then they can kind of make a decision about, you know, where he's at by the time, you know, training camp rolls around next year. Um, I think that that is definitely the smarter thing. Yeah. You know, it's all about instant gratification, right? I think that people, you know, we all, we all want, we all want to see the new toy right away. I get it, but you know, it's not, 
sometimes not ready. And, and so I think that's kind of where, you know, they're at and they, they understand what he can do. It's just, they want to see it without sort of, uh, I don't know, ruining his development, rushing his development. That's the worst thing you can do is rush a guy, shatter his confidence. And then, you know, that's it lights out. He's not going to be what he, what he could be. So I think they're cognizant of that. You know, they did it with Jake DeBrusque and it worked out. They did it with Heinen. And I think it worked out for, you know, his first two years in town. So they, they like being a little bit patient if they can. And I think they're going to, they're going to be really patient here, given lower eyes importance of the franchise moving forward. So moving back over to kind of the big club, um, you know, obviously Jim Montgomery had an unbelievable first year with the Bruins, you know, setting the league record for points and wins. Um, I think, you know, postseason, maybe there were some things that maybe didn't do as well. Um, what kind of improvements or adjustments do you think uh, he and the coaching staff are going to look to make this year? Yeah, I, I think that they're going to want to keep their defense being very active. You look at their defense last year, pretty much everyone had a career high or, or a career year on that front. So with the loss of John Gruden, they're going to have to continue to coach that up. Now Joe Sacco is going to be running the defense. Um, so he's got to kind of take some of those philosophies that Gruden instilled and keep pushing them. Um, I do think that goaltending wise, you know, should this team be a playoff team, I do think that they're going to stick with the rotation this year versus leaning on one guy. I think that's something that they probably regret not doing, looking back on it. Um, you understand why they went with Lena Zellmark, but at a certain point, you kind of have to go back to what worked for you for 82 games, right? Um, as challenging as that may be. Uh, so I think that's one thing. I think they like the idea of the balance of splitting up Martian and Pasternak. I, I think they like that. So I don't think they're going to tinker with that too, too much. Um, but I really think that what I find noticeable is that pretty much all their offseason additions are, are bigger guys up front, especially. So I think they're going to, you know, kind of emphasize getting to the high danger areas, getting to the greasy kind of areas and scoring goals that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think they realize they're not going to be a five goal a, a night team again. They're, they're going to be more three to two two to one kind of wins. And so I think what you're going to hear a lot this, this summer, or I'm sorry, this fall and this winter is getting to those danger areas, right? Using your size, using your, your body to kind of score some greasy goals. I think that's going to be the big change is that, you know, you may see this team, uh, you know, I think last year's team, they kind of, they kind of strayed away from the Cassie system, which was just fire it on net and see what happens. Like, you know, they were, they were saying quality, over quantity this past year, they might go back to that whole quantity thing now. Cause they just have so many guys who, you know, hits their leg, hits their stick, hits their back, goes in the net. Like they might go back to doing that kind of style. So that may be one adjustment we see. Um, you know, it's the reason why a guy like Craig Smith wasn't a fit is because he just shot the puck. It's all he did. He just shot, shot, shot. Like, you know, and, and Jim Montgomery was like, no, no, hold on to it a little bit, get a better look. You may see them deviate a little bit, from that this year, just based on the personnel they have, right? Like they don't have the all world amazing four lines. It's like, you're going to have to score some ugly goals. So I think that's one thing you're going to see this year too. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously as I mentioned training camp, I think like officially kicks off tomorrow. Preseason starts Sunday. What are some things that every year you usually like pay attention to? Definitely. Uh, who people are skating with. 
I think that can really be telling in terms of a guy's ceiling or not ceiling, but where he's going to be, you know, two years ago, for example, Chris Wagner was skating with guys that we knew were going to be in the minors. And then sure enough, Chris Wagner is waved and waved down to the minors and we don't see him again until game 82. So I think that's something that I always pay attention to. I always try to figure out who is, is getting looks with McAvoy and Lindholm. Um, you know, like who is the second guy? Like, I think we all know it's probably going to be Grizzly and McAvoy and Lindholm and Carlo, but who is the second guy that gets looks with those players? Because that can be telling too. Like if they want to shake it up, okay, that's going to be their next go-to. Right. So uh, those are things I'm going to be looking at. Um, I'll also be looking at sort of power play configurations. Um, you know, what, what unit uh, maybe a guy like JVR is on. Is he top unit? Is he second unit? Uh, you know, what, like, and this year for me, who's in the bumper? Uh, Bergeron is gone. He was probably the most effective bumper shooter in the league, in my opinion. The way he released the puck was just so efficient. Uh, so who do they put there now? Uh, there's they, they have some options, but no one's gonna be Bergeron. So, so I want to know who they think is the best option for right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're gonna see these things out of the gate here right away. You know, like, we're gonna find out who's replacing who. Uh, and how it's going to look. So uh, I, I'm curious to see, basically for me, it's all lineup questions, you know, and, and, and who is going to be slid into where and, and how they figure that out. Um, I think we know a lot about this team. You know, there's not too, too, too much changeover. Um, but really it's about what roles some of these guys are going to be in now. And so I think that's gonna be the most important thing to watch uh, when camp begins on Thursday. Someone like Shattenkirk, do you think, they keep him around as kind of a power play option. Yeah, that's a really great question because you, you kind of, that's one thing they don't really have a shortage of, right? Like they have Grizzly, they have Lindholm, they have McAvoy, and we know they tend to put a forward, you know, on power play one opposite McAvoy. So really you have two defensemen you need here for power play minutes and you already have Lindholm and Grizzly. So I think Shattenkirk could be asked to run the second unit. I do think that came up in their discussions with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you could see a second unit that is Shattenkirk and Lindholm um, running the point. You know, Shattenkirk had a really strong second half. He was averaging almost a point per game uh, in the final two, two and a half months of the season for Anaheim. And that was a bad Ducks team. Uh, so that's something that is going to be worth monitoring. Um, Shattenkirk did play with Lindholm for a hot second in Anaheim. They were a pairing together. Uh, I don't think they want to go to that as their go-to second pairing, but that is an option too. But I think, I do think that came up in Shattenkirk's conversations with the Bruins that, Hey, you're going to run second power play unit, or you're going to be part of it at least. Um, and kind of see what you got there. And, And, you know, Shattenkirk is a guy who's, you know, you should take advantage of the fact that he is a power play guy, right? If you're going to bring him in, you should utilize him in that role. So uh, how much they get out of him remains to be seen, but I do think that will be something you do see. And kind of just to like wrap things up, take a larger look. I kind of feel like this is a team that, you know, should be able to make the postseason. I mean, I think you look at the rest of the division, they're kind of our major questions with some of the, like contenders, I guess you could say, with Toronto and their goaltending, whatever the heck they're doing. Um, you know, Tampa Bay is getting older. You know, doesn't seem like the Bruins are going to be like buried in that division. Yeah, I I think that personally, man, I think that the Atlantic is a little bit overrated. And, and I say that because 
I just think that like Tampa is not Tampa five years ago, right? Florida had a glaring need for more defensive help and they went out and they added Mike Riley and Oliver Ekman Larson. I mean, these are two projects, right? There's a lot riding on Spencer Knight and his ability to be healthy and be, you know, in a good headspace to play. And we hope he is obviously, but there's a lot riding on that. And then, Listen, the hype for Detroit, Buffalo, Ottawa, you could talk to me about it all day, but until I see it, I can't say it's a certainty because they, some of these teams have been hyped for a long time. Everyone took Ottawa last year. Well, then they were bad. They weren't good. So, you, you know, I, I do think that it's a wide open division. I think Toronto's probably going to win the division. They're going to score a bunch of goals. They go and add Tyler Bertuzzi. They're going to score like crazy. But beyond that, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that the Bruins, I think they're a wild card team. At the very worst, I think they could be top three in the division. I don't know if they're going to win the division, but I do think they could be two or three in their division. So it's about being healthy, and it's about their goaltending not taking a, a massive dive. But if you're telling me that you have a starting point of McAvoy, Lindholm, Olmark, and Swayman, Pasternak, Marshan, DeBrusque, like, that's decent. I'll take that. You are in the mix. You are a wildcard team. So... It's about being more than that, but they got to be healthy. But I do think they have the system and the structure to be a, to remain a playoff team this year. I really do. I, I don't know what made me think of it, but it always made me laugh last year when, you know, you said, oh, the Bruins are going to win the division and everyone called you crazy. And, you know, yeah. won the division set the points record. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, I didn't think they're going to set the points record, but I thought I thought people were sleeping on them really hard. And I think that I think we're seeing it a little bit again. I, I think that people are just so mad about what happened on April 30th. And I get it. I'm not going to tell I'm not going to tell you it was it was a great time. But I do think that they are looking at the ending versus the you know what they were for 82 games. And, you know, I would say that most pieces of that puzzle are still here. So. I, I do think they'll be competitive, to say the least. All right. Well, uh, Ty, it was great having you on. This was uh, great to be able to get to do this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, well, yeah, look forward to preseason games. Regular season kicks off October 11th against Chicago at the Garden. So that will be fun. Um, any plugs uh, you want to do before you get before we go? Uh, nope. I got I got I got everything. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter or X, whatever they call it now, at yeah. underscore Ty Anderson. You can yeah. find everything I I do on uh, 985thesportsub.com. Uh, I also have a Facebook page that I was saying the other day. I got to figure out. I haven't logged into it in a very long time, so I got to do that too. Uh, but other than that, no, this was great, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right, we'll uh, talk to you. Talk to you soon, folks.